Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. I'm Brian Burson. You've been listening to Pete and Peyton, two guys that definitely need surf lessons. I have to agree with Pete. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for uh, another episode of uh, the old Church Planner podcast, or I'm sorry, the new Church Planner podcast. New, shiny, and improved. And yeah. today, Pete, I have an audience. So I have a peanut gallery today. So uh, peanut gallery, when I make funny jokes, laugh very hard. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when uh, when we make stupid jokes, you have to go wah, wah, wah. So go ahead and say, hey, peanut gallery. Hey. hey. Can you hear him? <laughs> I thought I muted them. So apparently not good enough on my end. Yeah, baby. All right, cool. All right, well, let's... Uh, Let's, uh, you know, and we don't want to mute them because if they make noise, I want to be able to smack them around a bit. Hey, hey, you know, I can't do that if you mute them. Oh, well, too bad. I've muted them. All right. So, hey, uh, White Tyrone that we're not supposed to call that, so I won't call him that on this uh, podcast. He actually called me today and um, and I told him, uh, well, all right, my uh, wampa tauntaun eating brother. And he did not understand. He goes, pardon and I, and I said it again, and it was like dropping a pebble in a, in a well, and it did not make any kind of echo or sound at all. It just kept falling into a black hole, and I realized that he is probably a much deeper person than you and I. That uh, could very well be, but I have no idea what you're talking about either. So Yeah, all right. A tauntaun eating wampa brother? Come on. You oh. know that's a great thing to call someone. Yeah, but see, you, yeah, when you throw them together like that, it's too hard to tell what you're talking about. Like, I'm, I'm thinking it's a Chinese dish that I'm going to find down at Panda Express or something. <laughs> I'll have that uh, tauntaun wampa eaten. I'm just saying. With uh, some mushu pork on the side, please. Hey, um, back to uh, my, my new favorite topic, uh, Night Rider. Do you, oh, I forgot about this. We're doing this today, aren't we? Well, I, I, we're circling back to Knight Rider because it's either that or the greatest American hero. I, I don't care which. But look, was just <laughs> do we sing every time we mention it? Because I got a phone call from you where you were singing, and then I think we texted. I we texted like, you because a buddy of mine from college changed his profile picture to the greatest American hero, and I was like, "This is perfect." But then I couldn't put it on mine because then it would be copying, and you know. We were, yeah, we were texting each other lyrics back and forth to that song, but we were doing it like, and the picture. Look what just happened to me. He (laughs) spelling it out. 
<laughs> I know it was hilarious. Um, what I wanted to say about Night Riders. Okay, do you remember Car, which was the prototype? No, I, I can't remember. What was that? It was that like the? Uh, it was, was the, it another? It was the bad Night Rider. Like it was the exact same, except he had like a yellow light in front instead of the red oh. light. Yes, vaguely. I remember the truck more than that. I, I kind of remember that. Yeah, the truck was Goliath. Making it up, and I might just be thinking I remember it. Well, I found some sound clips on the internet, which I could play for our audience, but unfortunately you couldn't hear it because we still haven't figured out how to get it so you can hear the you sound of it. You did it yesterday. You did it yesterday. I, we were, but we're I tried this morning, and you were, you were like, I can't hear you. So I'm like, okay, it's not working again. But... Um, well, but but yesterday you did it. What was really funny is, is like you, you you started it yesterday and I could hear it and I was all excited. And then you went to talk to me and it was like watching a bad Kung Fu film. You're like your words and your mouth are not matching up, which I was just talking with uh, one of the guys here. We call them my barnacles because they're, you know, Paul always called his uh, partners. He didn't call them his underlings. He didn't call them his minions. He called them his fellow workers. But that sounds weird to like show up to a cocktail party for church planners and say, hey, here's my fellow workers. So these guys are out here. It's Jerry McCarty. It's Jason and Emily Adams. I hope you guys aren't on the run from the law because I just exposed you. But um, they're out here for a couple months um, just doing the, the kind of partnering up thing. And then they're traveling on. Um, uh, hopefully I'll keep two of them, but one of them might go to Brussels. So um, he is going to Brussels. I want to keep him too. I'm getting greedy for him. But anyways, um, so I call my ministry barnacles and uh, just because I didn't know what else to call them. It's like wherever I am, they're there. It's the whole Jesus discipleship thing. Like they kind of follow you. And all that to say, we were just talking about Excalibur from the 80s, which you know, I got to put that on my list, man. And so we'll go back to your thing after we're done talking about my thing. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> just teasing. Uh, let, but, me, but, let me just pave the way here. Please keep talking, <laughs> Pastor Peyton. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm done, but I was just saying like it, you started talking like you're out of Excalibur. Remember Excalibur where their their words did not match up to their mouths, even though it wasn't a kung fu film. It's it was been just a, a long good time. 80s flick. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah, don't go watch that, guys, because it's there's people throwing their clothes off. It's not good. Mm, yeah, but anyway, all I was going to say about car, it, it stood for like a night automated roving something. It was like K-A-R-R. That was that was the prototype. So I found these sound effects on the internet. And I kid you not, it's the exact same voice as Optimus Prime from Transformers. Oh, yeah. Same yeah, guy. They, they recycle all those. Same guy. Whoever that did guy you, is, same guy. Did you know that on the Batman cartoon, the voice of Joker is actually Mark Hamill? I did not know that. Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I was not aware. Are you going to play the clips? Because I really want to hear him. You can't hear and him. I'll listen to him there's, later. There's, yeah, but I'll listen to the podcast later. All right. Because, you know, Here. I like to listen to myself. I'm going to play one of them right now. When you're one of a kind, companionship does not... That's my baby. Help. I don't know if you can hear <laughs> I am the night automated She drops him. Uh-oh. If you prefer. That was, that was a night ride. Why are you talking? Oh, is it going? See, you I can't, can't hear tell it. me to play him and then you start talking. Well, I heard you go, oh, and then there was a long pause. I thought maybe you're looking because I can't hear the sound bite on my end. I know, which is why right, I was right, like, I'm going to be quiet. Okay, when you're done, you have to say, Peyton, you have the conch now, and then I'll talk. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> my logic in this case is totally illogical, and yet it's absolutely correct. This is just amazing. <laughs> no kid, it's just human. <laughs> I so wish you could have heard that one. <laughs> oh, it's so great. No, uh, that's it. That's all I'm playing. That's all the audience gets right there. We're done. You have the conch. I have the conch. I shall now speak. <laughs> you were so waiting for me to say that. You big dork. I was. I was. I am deeply saddened that I could not hear that. I feel I'm going to go away with a Knight Rider shaped hole in my heart for the rest of the day that I could not hear that sound clip. You're going to, you're really so, going to so, wonder okay, so, what that one was all about because it was really funny. So welcome to the church planning podcast, everybody. And, you know, here's the deal. Every uh, Steve Erickson tweets out this week, right? He goes, I'm listening to the podcast with my friend 
And he goes about 25 minutes in. And my friend looks at me and says, so th- is this actually about anything? <laughs> that's, it's about church planning. Can't you tell? That's classic. So, okay, so we're going we're gonna to continue our talk about the 80s. Just so you guys know, it was funny. I did an interview this week, and the guy was asking me about the podcast on the interview. And um, it, weirdly, I ended up talking about you a lot, Pete, but, but here's the thing. Um, As you should. I have. mentioned on there that, I've, of course, and I mentioned that, uh, you know, the... Um, I actually said that one of one of the jobs of a serial church planner is to plant a church and pass it on. And your constant message to the people is you're just a normal guy. You're not anything special. You're not a superstar. You're not, you know, you're not MacGyver of church planning. You're literally just a regular dude and you have the Holy Spirit and you have to communicate that message to people. And I think in a way, that's what comes through on the podcast is people are just hearing us kind of our whole philosophy of ministry is we're just real dudes. And we want to communicate that at the very beginning of the podcast, just to say, Hey, God can use any knucklehead. If he can use these two guys, he can use anybody. And I think that's essential when you're handing a church off that people realize, yeah, you know, what? you're, you're, you are nothing special. I think Paul had that down. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of the reason we talk smack is we just, you know, in in one sense, we want church planners just to be comfortable with just being you, because you're all that the God's going to use. Hey, I area. would like them to be comfortable with me, but apparently my me is a little bit too much me, <laughs> according to our conversation this morning, and I have to pull That's back right. me and not be me. So you know, well, just saying, it, it, yeah, yeah. Don't don't be you so much. Just try to be less you is what I'm saying. And I really love you. I love who you are. Like Mr. Rogers, I watch a clip of Mr. Rogers right before he died. And he, he says this, he goes, um, he's talking to the camera. It's really cool. You can find it on YouTube. And Mr. Rogers looks at the camera and he goes, now I've grown up with many of you and I have to say, I love you. And it's why I do what I do. And I've always loved you. And can I just, now that you're older and you have jobs and you know, I just want to say something about you. You are very special, and I love you for just who you are. I'm not making this up. He actually said that. And then he turns to the camera and he looks, and he says, except for Pete Mitchell. Mm. Try to be less you. He didn't really say that last part. But he really, seriously, like there's actually a clip where he's talking to all the kids that watch his show as grownups, and he tells them, I love you just the way you are. All I know is those puppets (laughs) scared me to death, man. Uh, no, the, no, he's not a puppet. He's a real man. The the his puppets that he had life. on his show were freaky. They dude, we've talked about this. I um, know. They're they're talk. like they're the kind of things that nightmares are made of. That's all I'm saying. So okay. Okay. So you you know, like uh what did the what's the, the movie uh that had um oh what were their the, that famous spiritualist couple and then there's the doll Annabelle and they've made a movie about the doll Annabelle it comes alive. I swear to you, if you Google like Annabelle doll, you know, like, first of all, you freak yourself out, wet your pants and not sleep for weeks. But second of all, you will notice if you right after that Google Lady Fairchild from Mr. Rogers neighborhood, they look the same. It's like the same doll with a different wig on. Ring, ring, ring. I think you compare dolls too much. I, I don't know where to go with that. So, I fear dolls too much. But anyway, let, to let's go back them. to our subject. It's true. Before we go if out I of get control. Attacked by, but if I get attacked by knife-wielding dolls one night, I have to negotiate which one I'm going to avoid first or take out with the lamp. Right. That's important. Some people think about zombie apocalypse. I just think about, you know, Night of the Living Dolls. So let's go back to our, 10, our top 10 80s things or top 10 things that kids today, they just don't know or remember or whatever our however we worded our topic okay what do you want to talk about give me your next one give me your next one okay so this is one that uh this is kind of like there's a genre of movies and i don't know really what to call them but um this is where i was hoping uh, you were going cheesy 80s movies with puppets I don't know, like, I'm talking like Labyrinth, um, or Labyrinth, depending on how you say it. Um, the Dark Crystal, 
uh, Time Bandits. There were all these movies, The Neverending Story, um, that was Princess Bride. There were there were all these great movies in the eighties, and and they were kind of like pseudo fantasy movies. We didn't have CGI, so they had things like the Jim Henson Workshop in London make these incredible puppets. And and most of you guys don't realize that uh, Jim Henson actually pioneered CGI because he was like, hey, you know, I there's certain things I just can't do, and so his studio actually pioneered um, CGI for entertainment. Um, Jim Henson workshops, whole another story. But these movies were awesome, dude. They were like they involved the midgets wearing puppets. They, I was sorry, dwarves, uh, little people, little. I know, I know. I got I got called out for this recently because my brother said no, a little person and a dwarf are different because dwarves carry axes, and I I realized I had made a mistake, so I I had to backtrack. But but the reality is that uh, these movies, they were just awesome, man. They had puppets. They were like these things made out of silicone and like foam and dude, awesome stuff. And and that's gone, man. I think uh, I, for me, and, and it was along that genre, which is why I wanted to set you up for it. It, it was the movie Gremlins. Gremlins oh, yes. was a movie that like it scared me to death. Yet I wanted one of those little magua or whatever they called those little creatures. Mogwai. Wasn't that what it was called? Oh, please. And then Mogwai. They... And please get please get a sound clip of him singing. Remember the scene where he oh, sings? Oh, yeah. That was great. And then they made a cartoon, yeah. didn't they? They also made a cartoon of, uh, oh, of yeah. Gremlins. Well, anything creepy and scary in the 80s, they were like, hey, let's make a cartoon out of this. I must right? say that Gremlins 2 to me was absolutely hilarious. I know everyone like hated it because they took Gremlins, which was this great movie, you know, novel concept, don't feed them after midnight, don't get them wet, you know, all the, the rules that they had. And then the next one, they just went totally overboard. Remember, and they were trapped in the building. It was like a high-tech building, and it had a lab in there, and they made ones that were... Uh, um, uh, electric and uh, they came up with like all these different gremlins and I loved that movie I just thought it was great dude gremlins was it was so good and I remember when it came out it was really controversial wasn't it a Spielberg film you know it probably was and everybody was so mad at it people were like oh it's horrible there's these little things killing old people like there's that scene where they put the old person on the remember those mechanical like chair lifts that used to go up the stairs yeah. Yeah. And, and and the gremlin messes with it, and he launches the woman up the stairs so fast, she flies off when it hits the top, goes out the window. And his kids, you're just like, I know that's wrong, but that's super funny. Yeah, yeah, no gremlins for me. That that's definitely on uh, things that that uh, kids today they just don't know about, but should have. They should have known about gremlins. Yeah. In Time Bandits, and I, I, I literally cheat on this, even though there was no CGI, they did use a real person to simulate a giant, um, and they used they used a minotaur costume. Uh, they used pl- obviously they used plenty of little people because the whole movie is about little people. I go off about this from time to time on the podcast. I go off on Time Bandits because I have the whole mem- movie memorized. I think it's one of the best movies of all time. Um, John Cleese is in it. It's done by Terry Gilliam for Monty Python. And uh, it's awesome, man. Mm. So, Well, you know, we are 17 minutes in. I think we should actually get to our topic somewhat uh, on time. And we'll have to okay. pick up our, our, our 10 things uh, next week. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out. You're excited about this topic, so hit us with Doc Brown. I am, but uh, before we get to Doc Brown, let me just say that this particular episode of the Church Planner Podcast is brought to you by MoGive. M-O-G-I-V. Come on, uh, Peanut Gallery, come on, with me now. You ready? <laughs> One, two, three. M-O-G-I-V. I was, I was like, where's, was the, where's the song and dance? It's not coming on, on this. Yeah, this is uh, this is brought to us yet again by our uh, world's famous and uh, and our best and most loyal uh, sponsor, MoGIF. And you know, let me just ask you, Peyton, a, a simple little question: Have you been waiting to get your church started with online giving? 
Yes. <laughs> Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? Yes. Stop it. A better solution is here. MoGive, and that's spelled emoji. Peanut gallery, don't let me down. Come on. Ready? One, two, three. From the top. From the top, people. M-O-G-I-V. It's an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. Go to mogive.com forward slash choich to learn more. Choich. <laughs> yeah, all right. So let me hit you with some Doc Brown. Here's here's Doc Brown. Oh, wait. I got to turn on my... See, I always forget to turn on my sound effects on the uh, the soundboard. So here it is. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's topic. All right, so what is this week's topic, Senor Peyton? Okay, today's topic is the, well, you should introduce this one, man. This is all you. Yeah, but you're a pastor, and I know pastors pretty much can't help but talk all the time. Like, they hate sharing the (laughs) pulpit with anybody. Um, I actually want you to talk a load on this one. So, uh, yes, our topic, <laughs> let me go ahead and talk about it here. <laughs> our topic today is actually the movie, The Overnighters, courtesy of Netflix. Mm, yummy. Yeah, I, um, this is the movie we talked about last week. We said we we're going to talk about it this week on the podcast. Um, we were hoping that uh, that you would have a chance to be able to watch it, and you were actually able to watch it before the recording of the podcast, which is awesome. I actually almost went back and rewatched it because I I really, I, I mean I I loved the movie when I was watching it. I I was totally like into this movie, and it's it, it's got a twist at the end. So if you haven't seen it, we're going to warn you right now. There's going to be spoilers for you. But I yeah, pers- and in fairness, Pete, in fairness, we have for two weeks now mentioned that we're going to go over this. So if you don't want to hear and there there is a twist ending, then stop the podcast, go watch the movie, and then come back because we're we're just no holds barred. We're talking about the movie. We we've warned for two weeks, so uh, we've only yeah, for a we week, go but for a you know, and pastor's time that's like two weeks, so that's cool. It's um, Jesus time, man. Jesus uh, told Mary, you know, when Lazarus died, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll come right away. And three days later. There you go. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I was on Netflix and uh, looking for something to watch. See, I got to watch young kids now, right? I got a three-month-old and a three-year-old. And every once in a while, I get stuck watching them during the day. And when that happens, pretty much I can't do any work. So... I'm flipping around on Netflix and it says, because you liked, I think it was like uh, particle theory, which was, you know, all about physics and quantum physics. You might like this movie, which I don't still to this day, I don't get what the two movies have in common that would make Netflix say I might like it. So I started to watch it and I almost turned it off after the first two minutes because at the very beginning of this documentary, it shows the guy, um, what's his name? It was name was Jay, right? Jay was his name. Yeah, Jay was it Roinke or yeah, Ranky or Ranky? Like Jay Ranky or something. He's, I actually want to interview him. You know, so do I. I told you I friended him on Facebook. We're fr- we're Facebook friends now. So that's awesome. So, um, but I almost didn't watch it because he's a he's a Lutheran pastor, and like one of the very first scenes, I think when the title credits are still coming up, he's waking up the guys who are sleeping in the church. By singing to them, and I'm not kidding you. I was having flashbacks to my childhood that were just not good because that's how my mom used to wake me up, and I to this day cannot stand certain songs. I mean, it's like don't sing me awake. That's just uh, that's not a good combo. So I almost he turned was, it off. Right there. He was like, well, it's funny that because um, there's that proverb right that says, "He who greets his neighbors too loudly in the morning shall be cursed." And it, it literally means if you're like, hey, guys, wake up. Everyone's like, I hate you. You know, <laughs> and it's just a problem. It's just wisdom. Right. He's going through all these homeless guys going, the Lord, he said, build me an arky. Well, he's you not know, quite that like, bad, but he's singing hymns, man. He's totally singing. He, he hymns makes he makes Mr. Rogers at times look like a biker on that thing. I mean, it, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. So um, so here's here's the basic setup for everybody. 
It takes place in Williston, North Dakota. This actually was filmed between 2012 and 2013. Um, and some of the, the repercussions are still falling out right now in the church. But Williston, as we've talked about before on the podcast, it's uh, it's an American boomtown. Because of the, the fracking that uh, oil companies can now do, they're able to go back to some of these oil fields that they couldn't get oil out of, and they're now able to get oil out of them, which, of course, makes them profitable. And uh, apparently that's the reason why we have really uh, cheap gas prices right now because OPEC is, um, you know, oil used to be at around $100 a barrel. Today when I looked, it was like at $43 a barrel. Um, OPEC is trying to put all this fracking out of business, so they've lowered the price of oil, which of course gives all of us cheap gas, but it makes towns like Williston, I don't know, I I literally wonder now what's going to happen to Williston, which is a boom town if oil prices stay this low because the oil companies aren't going to be able to keep that up. And to me, that's even scarier of what's going to happen in this, this boom town. It's like running out of gold in the river in a, in a gold rush town. But right. So what happens is uh, Williston originally had like 12, 13,000 people. And then a few years ago, uh, because of the fracking, um, they've grown because the oil companies need workers, right? They need people to, drive trucks. They need people to work the oil rigs. They need people to, I mean, there, there are so many jobs right now in Williston. It's, it's crazy because there are just a ton of jobs, but even though there's a ton of jobs, there's also a ton of people. So they've gone from like 13, 14,000 people as a town to over 40 to 50,000 people in the last few years. So there's not enough places for people to sleep um, all of the hotels, even the really crummy hotels, which we've talked about before on the podcast because of uh, an episode of Hotel Impossible that I watched, um, are still charging like 200 bucks a night. And it's like just the scuzziest hotel ever. Uh, prostitution is really big. Uh, all the crime that you can imagine. I mean, we're, we're talking about a town that's basically got about a 99 to 1 ratio of men to women. Um, and we're talking like the rough oil uh, workers. It's just, it's it's a boom town, right? So it's a scary town. And the locals are now all hating this. So uh, Jay is the pastor of the local Luth- Lutheran church. And every day people show up at their doorstep at the church and are like, I need a place to stay. Can you help me? And that's basically where we pick up Jay's story is... Uh, their their model in their church must be a member driven church because they voted on it as a church. You know, are we going to let people stay in the church? And uh, so they did vote on it at one time, and that's why it has the name the Overnighters because um, these are guys who need a place to stay overnight. And I believe the the rules that they set out were, you know, the max you could stay there is a month. And um, and he sits everyone down. They do background checks on everyone. And, uh, you know, do you remember that scene at the very beginning where he's talking to him and he's like, you know, if you guys aren't going to a church, you know, we'd like to ask you to come to ours. You know, we want to we want you to at least go to church uh, for being able to stay here for free. We don't charge, but we would like you to make a donation if you can. I mean, that that helps us out. And um They've reached a point where basically they let people stay inside the church, sleeping on the floor, uh, sleeping in different rooms. There's uh, an area for the women where the women can sleep. Um, and uh, and if you have a car, they don't let you sleep inside, but they will let you park your car in the parking lot and sleep in your car. And so every yeah. night there's about 40 to 50 cars in the parking lot. And, and that's where the movie starts because you see – there's this huge need and everyone knows that they can go to this church and they can stay there. Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they said that over a thousand people stayed there in a two year period um, and hundreds more in the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, here, here's where the, the battle ensues. So you've got this pastor who doesn't want to turn people away. He knows that they need a place to stay. He knows that they've got nowhere to stay. He knows that they've got this big building, and he wants them to be able to stay there. The parishioners, the members of this church, um, at least the ones that they interviewed, I'm sure not all, but the ones that they interviewed, clearly did not like this. 
They didn't like people staying there. They felt like they were contributing to, um, you know, their, their, uh, I don't even know what the word is. They just, because uh, like there was one scene, you remember they interviewed the gal and she's like, look, if you don't have a job in 48 hours, you're not getting a job. So why are we putting them up? You know, they need to go back to their towns. Like they, like they didn't want them to stay. They didn't like the smell. Cause I mean, you can imagine all these people stay in there that stink. It's not like they got showers there. Right. I mean, it's no. a church. Um, they, so the, the members are like, you know, I don't feel safe here when I come to this church and it smells. And, um, so, I mean, there, there was like this battle going on between the pastor the elders board and also the, uh, or whatever they call it. I don't know if it was elders or deacons. I don't remember if they, they mentioned that. Um, and then the, uh, members that actually go to this church. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 you mentioned that there was a connection between how church planning works. You know, I remember you saying like, you have to watch this because you'll see the connections between church planning. And and so I went into it looking for that angle and exactly what you just hit upon there about the conflict. You know, he's he's trying to do what Jesus is telling him to do out there in the world. Right? He's trying to meet this very real need. Um, and he's like, hey, we're the church. We need to do something. And yet the opposition, a lot of it comes from the church. And and what, what was hard was you kind of want to jump into the movie and like I had a million questions, you know, like what happened between you and this guy? What did this conversation look like? You know, what did these people feel? And one of the things they show a meeting where there's the, uh, almost like the denominational moderator. He's the director for the Lutheran oh, Church. Right, right, right. Yeah. They call him in with what looks like a smaller group of the congregation, kind of like the officers of the church. That's what I got the feeling that it was like the elders board kind of. Yeah. Thing. And, and they were like, you know, we're not happy. And this poor guy, man, like he's, he's in between a rock and a hard place. Cause he's like, I can't say no, but exactly what you're saying. Like at one point, one of the guys looks at him and goes, so the church is struggling with doing the stuff that Jesus says the church ought to be doing. <laughs> I thought that was so awesome, you yeah. know, and, uh, and he's like, yeah, and it, it, it just, it was a powerful film and you're, you're left kind of coming away from it, you know, drawing, it, it, this is what I would, I need to say at the outset of, of how I feel about this movie. You can like, I can stand back and I can say, oh, we should have done this or this would have been a wiser approach. But at the end of the day, it's so much easier to come along side what someone else has done and criticize it than to just look at the guy and go, man, you, you, you did it. Like you, you did something. Right. And See, that's the biggest takeaway to me is yeah, there were mistakes made by everybody, by the pastor, by the board, by the church, by the denomination. Everyone has their fair share of mistakes in this, in this documentary. But the dude stepped up, right, and was like, look, we need to do something. We need to take these people in. And, um, and it, you know, it also made me wonder, okay, because they don't, they don't get into uh, any of the uh, witnessing or discipleship or anything like that that they really tried to do. I mean, there was a few little bits of it here and there, but, you know, it was done by... Um, a filmmaker, right? And so he's just trying to make a good movie and he doesn't really care about that. So I was curious about that side, you know, what did they do for that? Um, was it just a matter of, look, we're going to bring you in and, and give you a, a roof um, to sleep under. And, you know, that's how we're going to show uh, the gospel to you and then, you know, kind of leave it at that or, or what? Um, the, the one guy who basically, uh, ran it, who was living in the motorhome. You remember at the end when he had to go get the motorhome and then he was all bitter at the pastor too. Um, remember at the beginning, he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, the pastor totally trusts me and he, he lets me make the decisions and, you know, no one's trusted me like this in a long time. And he basically ran the, the, the church as far as the overnighters for him. Cause you've yeah. basically got this one lone pastor 
And they mm-hmm. didn't really show, again, it's a documentary, so we don't know the whole story, right? They didn't show really any support from the church for this. It The documentary made it look like it was like this lone pastor out there, and so the only ones that would help him were basically the people um, who were staying there as overnighters and had developed some rapport with him and ended up uh, in what we would consider a, a leadership position, you know, like the one guy who was running the the motorhome or the, uh, right. the the inside of the church. And um, but you can see this kind of uh, y- you can totally see this this kind of angst and battle between a church and a pastor, right? And we see this kind of thing in church plants all the time, especially when you're first starting out your core team. Yeah. And you're getting some guys and people have different visions of what this church needs to be, you know, your 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 new church plant that you're doing. And you could tell from the people that they were interviewing that didn't care that they were being interviewed. They're like, "Look, right. this is not what our church should be. This, this is not what it is." Right. And part of that, as I'm looking at it, I'm going, okay, well, this isn't a church plant, right? This Pastor Jay was hired by this church. It was an established church that already had like its own culture. And and it's almost like, okay, well, we're just paying you to be the preacher, but, you know, we want you to deliver to us a, a sermon every week and, and uh, you know, probably counsel us, but but we don't really want you to go out there and do any of this crazy stuff. And it, so it was interesting yeah. to watch the power dynamics of of who controls this thing. Yeah. Well, and and it was really um yes, absolutely. And and what he did, what it looked like he was doing was he was he's the guy on the front line. He's at the front front door or the front entrance of the church, you know, metaphorically speaking, where he's meeting the people on the front lines and his board is not. And at times he was having to negotiate like how much do I tell my board like when it came to the sex offender issue, and that's where it all started blowing up. Yeah, this, this is a that. big, big crux. So why don't you explain the sex offender issue? Because this is something that churches have to deal with. And we've talked about it on the podcast. But yeah, it, to me, watching this play out, it, it brought up more questions that I think need to be discussed by us on the podcast about this very Absolutely. issue. So, so explain the, explain to everyone who hasn't seen the movie about the sex offender issue. So, okay, obviously, you know, it's a boom town. He's getting a thousand people in two years. These are men that um, and many of them are ex-cons. Many of them have criminal record backgrounds. But, you know, it's a dangerous job. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the crab fishing off off the coast of, of Alaska. Um, you know, it's hard work, high pay. And so these guys travel out to get these jobs. And, of course, a lot of them have sex offender backgrounds. And it could be, and they bring up the, the issue that it could be the guy was 18, uh, he was w- sleeping with a girl who was 16, right? And and they bring up the point that, look, it may not be children, but later on it comes out that some of these guys had hurt children. And the paper publishes the list of names. Well, because the guy and their addresses, because the guy had allowed them to use the church building for their address for work applications, that came back. And so now it's and, and it's important to understand why that happened because – Basically, whether it was true or not, people were being told you're not going to get a job if you use an address outside of Williston. They only want to hire people who live in Williston. Right. And so one of the guys goes, I just put the church address on there. So I don't even know if he gave him permission there. They're just like, well, look, I'm just putting the church address on there. I, I don't know what it was. I, but Right. But so, he knew. He knew these guys had sex offender charges because they did a background check. They, he knew yep. it wasn't like he was oblivious to it. Right. Right. So it was kind of like um, all of a sudden that starts blowing up and he takes one of the guys who was staying there. And, and I didn't understand this, Pete. So he's got the guy who is a sex offender um, staying at the church. And then there was like the Judas character, the guy who turns him into the newspaper. Right. But but first off, let me say he takes one of the guys, a guy named Keith. And he takes him into his house because he realizes if I have this guy at the church, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to get shafted by the, by the church. So I've got to have him at my house, but I'll keep this secret that he's got this sex offender background. 
And then, um, but I didn't understand about the Judas guy. Did the Judas guy leave over that? Or was the Judas guy a sex offender who was kicked out of the church? You're talking about the guy who was staying at Jay's house? Well, no, there was that guy. And then remember the guy who blew off the lid to the newspaper and he went to the news, he went to the Herald and he was like, I'm very vindictive when I'm, when I'm wrong. And, and pastor Jay looks at him and tells that guy, I love you. I know it sounds corny, but I love you and I want to help you. And then this guy, he's, he's asked to leave. Um, it's not the guy, not the sex offender's house, but I didn't gather whether that guy was asked to leave because he was a sex offender or you're talking about the the white guy who had like the scruff, yes. right? And then he was like yes. basically looking like he was sleeping outside, like he had a mattress and he had to fold it up every day. That guy? He was the guy who ended up living in a trailer. Yeah. And he turned Pastor Jay into Okay, the that guy was staying at Jay's house. And so when Jay couldn't let the sex offender stay at the church anymore, Jay took that sex offender into his house and he kicked that guy out. And that's why that guy was all ticked because he was staying at Jay's house. Ah, okay. That's the part I missed was what's it. And I didn't go back and I I just, I was far enough in where those questions are raised, but okay, that makes sense. So it all blew up then. And, uh, and that's something that needs to be talked about because, you know, for me coming away from that, my, my thought is, you know, at that point, a line needed to be drawn just Plain and simple. Yeah, I and see, understand. this to me is where the tough part comes in, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, Jesus loves the sex offender too, right? Right. So you've got a group of people over here that needs to um, see the love of God, that needs to understand that they can be forgiven, yet they're sex offenders, and we don't know what the sex offender charge was. Um, you, you, they brought up, and, and that's what the thing is, uh, the black guy, was his name Keith? Was it, was that Keith? Yeah, yeah, that right. was Keith. So I what, called the other guy Judas, not because he really was a Judas, but because he turned him in. It, right, it he just tough. was upset. And so yeah, I don't remember his Keith name, Keith was a sex offender, and, um, and Jay had to get him out of the church because he knew that was going to blow up. So he invites him into his house, tells his family, but the story that Keith told was, I was 18, my girlfriend was 16, and that's why I've got the sex offender rap. You find out at the end he lied, and it was a lot worse than that. In fact, when you Google the story, you find out he was involved in human trafficking, and he was just a really bad, bad dude. But he lied about it, which also brought up to me... um, you know, kind of the interesting thing, I mean, when when you start looking at con men, um, you never think it's a con man, right? Because that's what they're good at is like befriending you and they could be your best friend. And then you find out later, dude, they were totally scamming me. They were lying out their teeth to me. And that's what that guy ended up, you know, they found out. I mean, because there's no way I don't think Jay would have invited him into his house if he would have known his real story. Right. And yeah. the only story he told him was I was 18. My girlfriend was 16. And, you know, that's that's why I got in trouble. Um, the reality you, you was it was far worse. Know than this, that. Guys. You have to know this. Please know this. If you start working, any of you guys out there that have listened to the podcast and you're like, I'm going to start working with down and outs. Um, you have to know that you will be lied to on a regular basis. Just assume when you're talking to people, don't treat them like liars. I'm not saying that, but, but you know, as Jesus says, I'm sending you out as innocent as doves, but be wise as serpents. And you need to be wise. You need to be careful. People will lie to you. And it, particularly when you're doing inner city, it's a survival skill. Lying is the way you keep alive. Lying is the way you, you get food. Lying is the way you get a roof over your head. Um, lying is the way you get drugs. Lying is the way you get out of getting arrested. Um, the, the, you you learn to get that cop mentality where you just filter everything through. A, I pretty much assume you're lying to me, but I'm still listening. Yeah. And so to me, the, the real question this raises, you know, how do you uh, handle the sex offender community? And the sex offenders are just the ones that have been caught, right? I mean... Who knows how many other people there are? That's just the ones that have been caught. But and, and we've talked about on the podcast before. I mean, you've made it clear, hey, 
the the kids in the church are uh, are of utmost importance to you. So if you're a sex offender, you can't come to our church. You have to go to a church that's in like we've got a community here called Leisure World, right? It's a senior community over 55 living. Um, and your point is that's the church you need to go to. Um, right. But, and, and, you know, I have no idea about Williston. What do you do in a community where maybe there isn't a senior community? Uh, you know, maybe there isn't a church for them to go to. I, I mean, to me, it like brings up all these other questions of, gosh, man, how, how do you reach this community? Or do you just say, hey, look, you know what? God hasn't called me to this community. I'm not here to help the sex offenders. And that's the line that I got to draw. I'm here for, you know, well, the down and outer. I, I don't know. You know, absolutely. That's, that's my that is what question. you have to do. That is what you have to do. And what they brought up was a lot of the companies were only running records back as far as seven years. You have to run a person's entire history because they may have gotten caught 20 years ago and not been caught since, but still in it. Just learning how to duck. Well, under and the other thing too caught. for people to understand about the background checks is, um, unfortunately, they're not a hundred percent because there isn't a national database that has everything. So yes. you only check the counties where someone says that they lived. If they yeah. don't tell you that they lived in another county, you may not <laughs> find out about, uh, you know, the the crimes that they've been convicted of in those in those uh, counties. So, and you, you can bet that these guys have learned that game. You know, okay, well, I know I live in uh, um, Orange County, but I'm not going to tell them Orange County. I'm going to, you know, so that's why when the, the credit report comes back and usually it has all the addresses that they've used, if that address has been reported to a utility or to a credit card company or something like that, and you see an address on there that they didn't tell you about, you better run that county's criminal background check as well because... There yeah. isn't a national database, guys. You have to understand that there isn't one. Yeah. And these guys will learn the system. They'll learn to get around it. You've got to be aware of that. Yeah. And and when you, um, let's put it this way, when you, I like we've had the FBI come to Refuge Long Beach because obviously we're a church and we're in a school. And occasionally, like for someone who, was a registered sex offender to come to our church by nature is a violation of, of parole. So they would get arrested if it became public knowledge that they were at our church. And I've talked to, to parole officers about this. Um, I've worked at, we had a parole officer go into our church at that time. And, um, and I was able to get all the rules on this. So, so for us, if there's a sex offender, it's just literally, I have to tell them, you actually cannot be here. You will go to jail for being here. And you you just can't come to the and, church. And that's easy for us because we're in a school. Yeah. I, I actually don't know what the rules are for in America for Sunday school. Like if your church has a Sunday school, I would imagine it should be the same. But here's the reality. Um, I have heard of pastors trying to cover up that there is a sex offender in the congregation. Let me tell you something. If you do that and that ever gets to your congregation, you're done. You've just undermined your trust. And, and, and what I think needs to happen is people that are sex offenders need their own church. And I know that, you know, people are like, well, that's not how it ought to be. Well, okay, that's fine. But if, a, you know, we know how it is when a guy struggles with alcohol or pornography, if those guys fall, they get drunk. If they those guys fall, they go on the internet and look at pornography, right? But if a child molester falls and human nature tells us that they will, the consequences of that on your watch as a minister, you are a shepherd and you are tasked with protecting the flock first and foremost. And the Bible does put a heavy, heavy, the most drastic thing Jesus ever said was about protecting children. Yeah. And if we're not going to take him serious, he literally said, you should have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the deepest part of the sea rather than face me if you hurt a kid. And there's just no way to sugarcoat that passage. And so the church needs to have a zero toleration to say, look, guys, there's forgiveness for everything, um, boom, boom, boom. But Jesus, it, you can put it in the, in the term of the sex offender. I, I need to not put you in the way of temptation. It's not that your sin is so disgusting that God can't forgive you, but it's literally that should you hurt a child, Jesus is saying, you're going to have to deal with me. 
and we are taking you out of the way of temptation and saying to you, um, you the church is not going to be an enabler because this is what happens with almost anything is we can become someone's enabler, right? When mm-hmm. someone has an addiction and you can love people to death, you can um, like the, the guy who's an alcoholic, you know, and he's homeless. You take him in. What does he do? He sneaks alcohol and he drinks in your home. And you're enabling him. You're making it possible for that guy to do what he does. And you need to let people hit rock bottom. And the church, you know, ministers in particular need to understand that at times you have to pull away from enabling people to sin. And that's where I think this guy, because of his own issues, which come out at the end of the film, which we can talk about, um, he was unable to do that. Now, um, how do you think uh, the issue needs to be handled where he doesn't want to tell his board different things, right? Remember, he's like, uh, I know if I tell them this, they're going to flip out. How do you have that good relationship with your board where you just say, guys, well, this is what, I mean, is that what it is? We need to sit down. You need to be aware of this. I mean, because it's not. You know, again, I'm looking at it I'm like this is an established church, right? This wasn't yeah. a core team that started up where, you know, you had the the people who wanted their own way for the church end up falling out. And you've got the core team there who understands what your vision is, who are going to go with you with that vision. This is a little bit different. It's an established church. Um, he was probably brought in at some point and he doesn't have that same relationship. So how well, do you handle that? There's. There's a church polity issue here that comes up, right? Like I'm talking with um, the the posse here that's out for two months and we keep talking about, I work with a lot of different types of churches. And because of that, I'm always going in and out of different church polity structures. And um, you really see a, a massive difference. Like for example, if I walked into a Calvary Chapel, right? Calvary Chapel, basically the guy plants, he becomes a CEO, everyone under him, is his employee. So he's the boss. So he runs the ship, right? Right. It basically everybody does what he says, agrees with his vision, or they, they, you know, put all their things in a box on Friday and don't come back on Monday. So that, that's what that structure looks like. Most churches are not in that structure. And, and I would say, thankfully, cause I think that's very unhealthy. A good board will disagree, right? They will have different opinions. That is necessary it's part of uh, the accountability of a multitude of leaders. It's shared responsibility. It's eldership. All that stuff is good. But in this case, in this guy's case, it's not that. So um, what this guy had was the opposite, where his board was his employer and he was the employee. And so what, what was happening there was he was, he was feeling like I'm doing this thing that I need to do for Jesus, but it's not, it goes against the the policies of the company. Does that make sense? Right. And so he was in an employee position now on a, on a healthy biblical church uh, planting model. You've got a team of elders who are not your employers, but they are your co-equals. They are um, the brothers in arms. And you come to them and you just say, hey, guys, they're not your employees and they're not your employers. They're your partners. And you come to them and you say, hey, guys, um, we've got this going on. This is what I want to do because this is what I think Jesus ought to say or what Jesus says about this. And these are the and, and they thrash that through together as a team so that when they move forward, they are on the same page. These are the boundaries we're putting in place. These are the things we'll allow. This is how we need to go to the city. And talk to the city about it as a united front, not just this, you know, and in all respect to um, Pastor Jay, um, you know, not as some crazy loon who's on some private crusade, which is what when you watch the film, it's what the it's how the community views him. He doesn't have the strength of the church behind him, at least according to the documentary. Right. He's he's the one going to the meeting. Um, it's not, Hey, this church has weighed this through and it's him. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, it, what he, what Peyton is referring to there is, uh, in the documentary, the city can't basically stand what's happening, not with the church, but with the community, right? This huge influx of people coming in here, nowhere for people to stay. So at the community meetings, 
Uh, one of the, the bills that they were trying to get passed is that you can't sleep in an RV uh, more than like 28 days. Because, again, there's nowhere for people to sleep. So they're sleeping in their cars, they're sleeping in RVs, and the community is fed up, right? This used to be a small community. You can probably imagine a really tight-knit community with, you know, 15,000 people or so, all of a sudden, four times that size. Uh, there's not anywhere for people to sleep. There's no room for them in the end, so to speak. And it's just like, you know, the roughneck oil worker. It, I mean, imagine what this community is going through. They're sick of this. They, they're not the ones reaping the benefit from the oil industry. They just used to live there. And, yeah. um, and I mean, one of the things that Jay had to do when the article uh, came out in the paper with the list of all the sex offenders is he put around a flyer and started going door to door to the neighborhood to let them all know about uh, the sex offenders that were staying there at the church. And, of course, right. you see the neighbors are all upset. And they're like, well, we don't want them there either. I mean, and no one does. I mean, I don't want a sex offender living in my community. I got two kids, right? Three-year-old and a three-month-old. I don't want that happening here. But, I mean, so, I mean, there's this battle that's going on. And that's why I really enjoyed the film is that there's this huge battle between, you know, a guy who's like, I see what we're supposed to do, a church who doesn't really want to do it, a community who doesn't want it. And it's really, you know, in a lot of ways, the film portrays it as one man against the world kind of a thing. And um, and you can tell with the whole sex offender thing, it's not going to end well. I mean, you, you just see that 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 demolition ball coming down and it's it's going to end up, you know, destroying everything. Um, but one of the other things that I thought was uh, a common mistake that church planners make that Jay admitted to making in the film. And people have to be aware of this, uh, especially in their church plants, that you don't make this mistake. He talked about the fact that he knew his family was suffering because he yeah. was so consumed with helping everyone out at the church that he wasn't spending the time with his family that he needed to spend with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about that in last week's podcast, or maybe it was Band of Brothers. I don't remember which one. We've been talking about that a lot. And we talked about it last week on the one Don't Screw It Up. And then we talked, uh, gosh, a few weeks ago, we talked about one called Staying Healthy. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that when you're in ministry, you work normal working hours. And normal might mean eight hours. It might mean nine hours. It might mean 10 hours. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you've got to work that out with your family, but you can't work two jobs, right? For, for one church, you can't like work 80 hours a week and expect you're going to have a family. Um, we call that the evangelical widow scenario. She sits at home wishing her husband was still alive and you, you just can't put your kids through that. Kids will hate the church and um, your wife will begin to resent the church. And then you will suddenly find yourself um, pulled between two extremes. Every married minister has to deal with what Paul talked about, where he says you have to please the Lord and your wife. And the rest of the world can spin, as far as I'm concerned, between once I please the Lord and once I please the wife. Um, you know, it, it sounds heartless, but there's that tendency for guys in ministry to, there, there's repeated scenes where people are like, you're amazing, you're wonderful, there's not many like you. And they're saying that to him. And he's a broken dude. And he's craving that affection. And he's craving people saying that about him. And that's a trap. Beware when men speak well of you. Like, it, we have to be careful because we can feed off of that. And then it becomes an addiction. Proverbs says, too much, hun, not good. Um, so when, when, when others praise you, um, it, it's... It's living on a diet of honey, and it's not healthy. It's going to make you unhealthy, and you're always looking for it. You're preaching the sermon, and you're done, and you're waiting for people to say, good job, good boy, good girl, you know, and and you can't feed off of that. You have to be content with, you know, um, I, I love the end of Jerry Maguire, man, where the guy goes, um, I can't remember his name, the, the, his mentor who keeps looking at the, oh, at the camera, the old guy. Yeah, I don't remember either. And he goes, you know, uh, my name is, uh, he's like the greatest salesman of all time. And he goes, um, learn from me. I love my wife and I love my life. 
uh, and I wish you my kind of success. I love my life. I love my wife. And I wish you my kind of success. And, and at the end of that movie, Jerry Maguire, when the guy thought this and that and that and that and this was important, that's what that movie's about. They end with that line at the end of the movie that the guy was really successful because he loved his life and he loved his wife. And most ministers at the end of, of their, their tenure of, of knocking themselves out and to why, you know, over half of the ministers, it's actually higher numbers than that. Don't make it to the end of a successful run because they burn out uh, personally or uh, they burn out their family. And at the end of it, they end up hating their life and their family hates them. Mm. Yeah. On that positive note. Well, and, and, I mean, so the the final uh, revelation in the movie is, uh, you know, one of the, I mean, it was like the last ten minutes of the movie. I'm like googling this movie while I'm I'm watching it because I'm like, dude, we got to interview this guy. And then you know, that's when they, that's when I read online. What that's why I told everyone, don't read online before you watch the movie. Um, he he basically admits to his wife, "Look, I've I've struggled with same sex attraction my whole life, and I've uh, I've cheated on you." And I mean, it's just... I think she knew. I think she knew before. I was watching the interaction. I'm guessing she knew, but and it hadn't been the first time, because when he shares it, there's no shock. She just looks at him. She's got this stone like she's a cool chick. All throughout the movie, you're impressed with her. She gets this. There's this look she gets, and it's like this stony look. And she looks at him and says who like mm-hmm. she knew dude. like it was it was just who is it this time you know that's what i'm guessing but i don't know i don't want to trash a guy if that's, right 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 i'm not trashing him at all right, right. no Big respect to him. um human being but um but what i'm saying is i'm guessing that this was not new knowledge to her yeah and i mean but my, my only point in bringing that up is that's ultimately what tears everything down. So of course the church just votes and says, look, we're ending the overnighters program. And then he finally admits this to his church. And uh, when you read the interviews online, the, the documentary filmmaker was allowed to attend that meeting. And, uh, but I don't think they'd let him film it, which is why it's not in the documentary. And he just says, look, I, I knew it wasn't going to go well for the guy, but I didn't realize how bad they were going to trash the guy. And, mm. Uh, you know, apparently the church was just like, we are so done with you. Like that, that's what this filmmaker had to say about it. Um, well, the church was putting, the church was being put through hell in the community. They really were. And, and big respect to them for holding to their guns. But then when that happened, I think there probably crept in a sense of betrayal of you put oh, us sure. through all that. And meanwhile, you were, you know, and and it's it's heartbreaking. Like I I just I don't know. Like when I, when I hear of guys who have sabotaged your ministry, I always think of it like that. I think I I could see the pressure building. There's that that scene where he's out waving at the train and going yeah, nuts. Yeah. And and you just know like this dude's about to crack. And I know that it's kind of like the Coney guy, the guy from the Coney thing, where he had a nervous breakdown and he was walking around naked screaming, and they found him officers oh, right, had to right, right, yeah. Him. Uh-huh. And and I think what happens with a lot of guys is the pressure mounts and the pressure mounts and the pressure mounts. And in ministry circles, it's not okay to say, I'm done, I need a break, um, because there's that whole, I put my hand, hand to the plow and look back, and I'm not fit. And that's a misunderstanding of that. You know, That's not saying you can't quit ministry when things get unhealthy. Um, but But guys have this subliminal like i'm a failure if i take a break or i've let the word down and part of his struggle too was and he says this look i think he said he was like 55 i don't remember but you know 57 yeah whatever it was he's like you know what am i going to do now for a job because now i'm living in williston and i'm an old guy and there's another scene earlier in the movie where he basically tells a guy who shows up at his door he goes look i'm going to be straight with you old guys don't get jobs here because we're just not strong enough and now he's that guy because he can't work at the church anymore. Yeah, and and so I, my theory is with most, you know, the guy doesn't wake up thinking I'm going to commit adultery. But sometimes you come into the situation as a minister and you see what the guy did, and and you you just know, like it's not like you went after some hot chick or you're just thinking to yourself, there's actually no logical reason you did this other than, I think the pressure mounted so much you needed an out, and of course for a minister. 
the best way to self-sabotage your ministry and to, to get the, the release out of it is to sabotage it by moral failure. Hmm. And it, it just puts a, an abrupt end to everything. And I, I, I just have this sneaking suspicion that that's what guys do uh, from time to time when they can't face the fact that maybe I just need to get out. But it's, I think it's subconscious. I think it's an unconscious hmm. thing. I think guys sabotage themselves. They, they self-sabotage. And it's not, you know, we always say the enemy took you down. And, yeah, yeah, I get all that. But at the same time, I just think sometimes the human psyche goes, I've had enough. And I know my subconscious knows what I got to do to get out of this. And, um, and that's it. You know, you never hear a minister say, you know what? I just think I want to go back to, you know, uh, selling insurance. I was happier then. <laughs> no one ever says that. You know what I mean? Mm. And, uh, and maybe you guys should. But hey, on that happy note, we're out of time. And uh, if you guys uh, enjoyed the show today and enjoyed the movie, thank Pete because uh, it was his. It was an awesome find, Pete. Well done on that, man. Did you notice the guy with the Band of Brothers t-shirt when he's waking people up in the cars? <laughs> yes, I did. Band of Brothers, baby. Band That's what we call Jump School's monthly call where we all get on there and ask our questions. It's Band of Brothers. I knew I was going to like the movie when I saw that. <laughs> but no connection to us in any way. No, unfortunately. That was just a disclaimer. Any connection between this movie and this completely. No, anyway. So, hey, uh, I can't talk that fast. But uh, anyways, thanks for joining the Church Planner Podcast today. Reminding you, if you want to reach ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. dot